Who is Mr. 964? You'll find out in this episode. Nine Whites Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. The show is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts, hosted by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks, with special input from friends and experts around the industry, including you, our valued listeners. Hello, Lee. <laughs> How are you? All right. Excellent. Excuse the background noise. So, yes, we're not in our usual um, Spandangly studio, it's fair to be said. Yeah, we're uh, on the road. We are on the road indeed. We're, uh, we're in my 957 Cayenne. We have a special guest on board with us, alongside Andy and I. We've also got the uh, ever-present engine management light. <laughs> 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 I wonder where you're going now. I was thinking he's in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. It's glowing, actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Looking resplendent yeah. in front of us. We're there. in the, the KN. Yeah. So uh, actually, we've just had to uh, to fill up as well. I don't know about you, Andy, but um, you kind of like you have to do the conversion in your head, a bit like when we started using sterling. You have to work out what things are in old money when you fill up and you put 40, 50 quid in. And you think, well, what is that in old money? Because yeah. I've just for years just thought, well, it's a pound a litre. So if you put in 30 quid, you've got 30 litres or whatever. Yeah. But uh, now, obviously, you get just dust for, <laughs> yeah. for all your money. Are we on empty yet? Uh, yeah, we will be soon. We absolutely <laughs> will be soon. But um, yeah, look, so we're on the road for, uh, for the podcast today. We're going to be going to visit a guest. We are. We are. Going to go and learn about uh, 964s or the buying and selling of? Yes, buying, selling and sourcing. And so naturally, the very best person to go and see about such a subject is uh, is Mr. Ian Harris, who we have called Mr. 964, to be honest. Yeah, it's a very good term. It is. So, I mean, what sort of stuff can we expect to garner from this conversation? I think it's going to be interesting to hear yeah, how his... The journey to being Mr. 964, I don't think it was planned. Uh, I think it's just sort of happened for him rather than, uh, yeah, he didn't wake up one morning and go, right, I'm going to buy 964s and sell 964s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it'd be interesting to find out what the, the whole journey's been like. Yeah, I think so. And also, you know, 964s for a while now have been extremely good news. Um, so it would be it would be nice to just find out or dive into that world a little bit more for someone who's got their finger on the pulse uh, in regards to that generation of 911. Should we um should we get should we get the man on? Yes. Talk some 64. Absolutely. Mr. Ian Harris from Harris Classics. Lee, nice to meet you. Should that not be Mr. 964? The man you opposite misnamed him. The the man opposite <laughs> us, Andy, is indeed the Mr. 964. The man, the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're hoping you won't be so much for mystery after this podcast. Um, yes, Mr. 964 is very apt. You are Mr. 964. Well, that's a, that's a name that you've you've given me, really. <laughs> I, I like 964s a lot, and it's kind of live and breathe them. So yeah, that's a bit apt, really. But yeah, no, I'm I'm 
developing that name that's for sure <laughs> be it good or bad but I, you know, I love I do like a 964 yeah. it's um it's an incredible story I'm really looking forward to diving into this I think um certainly for you a lot has happened post pandemic last couple of years from a Porsche point of view which will be of real interest to our audience but the story with you and cars kind of goes way back and um as you were telling us before we started recording you're a farmer originally yeah so the family um i'm from a farmer's background um the family business was seafood so i was third generation into the family business which was smoking fish yeah which was just around the corner here um my granddad was a a farmer my grandmother wanted a hobby so she used to smoke fish out of the out the house and that escalated into a small successful smokery growing up on a farm I started driving when I was 12 years old, which was a Daihatsu fast track. (laughs) And I wasn't tall enough to reach the pedals. So they would set the car going on tick over. I would sit in it. And then my (laughs) dad and his, my my uncles would get in the trailer in the back and throw out the haze to the cattle. And I would drive around the field and then shout when I wanted to stop. And they'd come and open up the door and... Turn the ignition <laughs> off. So that was my first uh, driving at 12 years old. Um, and then I got my first car when I was 14, which was a 2.8 Cortina. <laughs> uh, my dad had a field. We had some land. So we set up a rally course. So at 14, I was out there drifting until the thing went out of petrol. And that was our early years was banger racing and driving cars around the field which was was great fun and obviously taught you a lot about driving yeah and then as as life went on um growing up around the brighton area get to 18 17 18 then you're driving and then you're finding nightclubs and things like that and then kind of life changes for you um so I've always been involved in cars. My first car was a Nova. My second car was a Renault Williams Clio when I was 18. Yeah. So that was a, that was a good car to own. Um, Any modifications with, to the Nova? Oh, lots. The, <laughs> the stereo was worth three times more than the car. The thing would bounce down the road. And then at 18, I got a Williams, which was great for the ladies, um, <laughs> which helped to, helped to counteract because at the time I was working in the family business, which was seafood. So I was kind of going out smelling of fish, but had a really nice car. So, you know, there was like a playoff there with the, with the, with the two. Um, Old Fishy Harris. Yeah. Here he comes. That's one of my nicknames. There's more than that, but we'll, we'll stop it there. Um, so, yeah, that's, a, that's like early years. And then I realized that seafood wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And that I liked cars and automobiles and things so i went traveling to oz um for three years came back when i was 23 and at that time i didn't want a proper job i'd been in the family business doing long hours um in something i didn't really enjoy to be fair um went traveling and came back and thought you know what there's more to life than money i want some freedom so i bought a vw camper van off a friend of mine for 1200 quid and that summer did it up uh, i've said to people in the past restored yeah but by restored i mean i got a roller i was in a household roller and <laughs> yeah. painted this thing it was absolutely horrendous there but, must be so many campers that have had a, <laughs> yeah had was, a roller paint yeah, job from like 10 meters away it looked half decent and yeah that, <laughs> and that was squinting <laughs> so i bought a camper van um 
at the, t- at the time, backtracking a little bit, when I came back from Australia, I brought back my Australian girlfriend um, to live with me. And we did up this camper van to travel around the UK. Um, it's about six months after, you know, doing up the camper van, she ran away with the chef at my local pub. Ouch. <laughs> and to this day, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because <laughs> I... <I'd, I'd, laughs> I'd done up this camper van to travel the UK with her. She then ran off with the chef at the local pub and I was so annoyed. I sold the camper van on eBay and I made a profit. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was fun. And then that was how the camper van business started. So I then with the profit. So when did, what sort of year? Oh, that was uh, mid, early, (laughs) early, early twenties, 23, 23, 24. Yeah. So started buying and selling camper vans couldn't um couldn't weld so i took out a loan without telling my family still living at home my parents um got on a plane flew to california as you do without telling my family and taking out a loan Mm -hmm. and then uh bought some camper vans from america because they were rust free okay so so i shipped two back in a container and 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 that (laughs) too not many people yeah not many people were doing that so they were rust free and that then stemmed into a quite a good import business the camper vans that went very well and then we got involved in restorations and everything like that um paint body um you name it learn to weld in the end or no didn't learn to weld i was always sat behind a a desk telling people what to do but uh enjoyed the business we had a we had a great a great team and at one point we had nearly 20 young guys working with us just restoring camper vans it was great fun yeah I did that all through my 20s. And then towards the end of my 20s, I started doing better for myself and making a few pennies. So I was in an opportunity to buy my first proper car. Yeah. So at that time, I had a choice of three cars. I'll never forget this. It was an Audi R8, an Aston Martin Vantage, or a Porsche 997. And I went for the Aston because they, for money, it looked the coolest car. It yeah. was my first proper car. And I remember getting this thing and I drove it. I thought, this is awful. And I had a Ford key. Everything was broken. I thought, this is a pile of junk. So four weeks later, it was gone. And I bought a 997. Mm-hmm. And I remember my first drive in it like it was yesterday. It was literally from where we sat, evening like this, country road. And I remember driving it thinking, oh, the steering yeah. Oh, the balance, the sound, you know, it just, yeah. I just fell in love the with package. it. And that was, that was the, the real kind of start of the, the whole Porsche thing for me, really. Yeah. So, well, that must have been a nice uh, kind of, you come in full circle because you said earlier on, away from the mics, that your first kind of uh, encounter with a Porsche was when you were like six years old. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's exactly it. So my, my love for Porsche started, well, my, not love, my love for Porsche started when I drove one properly. Yeah. And, I realised that having something that looks good is one thing, but for me, I'm more about it, it driving and the way it drives. And, yeah. I, and I've always been like that to this day. For me, I'm about the driver and me enjoying it and not having something that, you know, showboating. So my earliest memory, one of my earliest memories with me and my father was driving on the same road that I drove that 997 in his 86 3.2 Carrera. And it was in midnight blue. I don't know the colour code, but it was almost black. Yeah. yeah. And he had Tapal playing on the on the tape deck. I remember it vividly. It was China in your hand, Tapal. 
sports seats. I think we might have to insert a little bit. Of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in Lin- the background to this little scene, bit. Yeah. Lin- linen sports seats. I was an '86. I was six years old, and he was doing like naught to sixties. And I remember that, like you know, yeah, you, yeah. those you certain things oh, yeah, stick absolutely. in your head, and that and that was that was one of them. So when the decision came out of the three cars, so then by the nine nine seven, it was like, yeah, well, I, I realised you know why I'm buying that, and that yeah. was that was the start of that really, and that was kind of gets me up into my probably my late thirties to be fair. And then the problem I always had was I could buy a car like a Porsche, but then if the business ever needed money, I'd have to sell it and put the money back in the business. It was always, I'd have it for two, three months and then something would happen. We'd need some cash flow, So I'd have to sell the car. And this kind of went on for years in my thirties. But the, the thing that I always found is that, restoring a camper van and restoring a porsche although this sounds mad it's the same it's the same process just the numbers are different you strip it you repair it you paint it you rebuild it it's the same process of a restoration it doesn't really matter what you're doing but just the numbers and what things cost and the attention to details magnified by the model yeah so restoring camper vans all my life and then getting involved in cars kind of got me into kind of semi-restoring Porsches in my 30s. So because I couldn't really afford to have one like full time, I would buy something that needed doing up. Yeah. You know, so I've had like, I remember buying my first Super Sport. It was a nine, yeah, 930 SSE Super Sport convertible. And I paid 12 grand for it. Yeah. Oh. Needing paintwork. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, I bought a, Ferrari Dino 308 GTB, I think it was in silver right-hand drive, the same money, both needing paintwork. And in the campervan business, we had a paint shop. So the boys would do after hours and we would do these cars. Yeah, And that was the way that I kind of built up a, a pot to be able to wheel and deal in, you know, Porsches, so to speak. But the campervan business has always been there in the background, ticking away. Um, and then with the camper vans, we've always had various different things. So we've had, we build new transporters. We b- deal with old stuff. We do restorations. We do servicing. We import from Brazil. So, you know, wide mix of. Yeah. So um, we're talking bay window splits as well. No, not split screens. I used to dabble in them back in the day, but mainly bays. Yeah. And then as years went on, 2013, we started getting involved in transporters, converting those. Yeah. Um, so always around those, but the beauty that I've always had is the staff. My and I'm 42. All my staff are my age or younger. They're all car people. Yeah. So there was a lot of after hours projects on working on one of my Porsches, or the painter wanted some overtime, so we could do the cars. Yeah. And the two kind of went hand in hand quite nicely. It was yeah, quite yeah. a nice, nice little pair. Yeah, yeah, nice little thing really. And then that that kind of escalated. You know life goes on and I grew up and so forth. And then it really changed for me probably with buying the leader of feature on it, the 72 2.4 S that was a big, that was a big, um, a big change for me. So I'd had lots of Porsches, but then I bought this 1972 2.4 S right hand drive car. Conda green. Viper green. Okay. Viper green. Bought I remember it, that. Bought it out of London. That's not so long ago. Like that was three years ago. I probably sold it. I don't know when I bought it, but I bought it in my definitely in my in my thirties. Yeah, and that was it was a car that I'd I'd found in London, low owners, um, 
in red, guards red. It had been changed to guards red in the eighties, um, so it yeah. disappeared off the Porsche radar, and bought it and did a um, you know check on the car with a yeah. certificate of authenticity, and it was a Viper green car. So I bought that, thinking, oh, that would just need a quick paint job. Yeah. And we had, and we've got a paint paint shop. And then, as all projects is happen, we stripped it out. You get the shell blasted. You find a bit of rust. Yeah. Then you're into it. You think, oh, we'll get the engine rebuilt. I oh, will do the interior. And before you know <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, you're, full. you're fully restored it. Yeah. And that car, I'd got some quotes to restore it from all the kind of um, specialist companies within the UK that dealt with the early cars on a, there's my car, please restore it for me. And I got the quotes, um, which was substantial, but that was, they'll do everything for you. And I decided that I was happy to spend the same kind of money, but wanted to project manage me because then I was in control of the car the detail yeah porsche panels not aftermarket you know what goes into the engine so i project managed that car from start to finish nut and bolt restoration did it exactly in six months to to the to the day and then on its first outing it won at um blenheim palace um so it won there and then it was featured in various magazines and that was a really kind of big milestone for me because it was great to get geeky and research the paint textures and the wheels are sent off to france to be dip anodized as opposed to painted so over i think here. this may be a different car to what i was thinking this wasn't modified this was totally no this stock. was completely stock. stock okay yeah i remember another green long hood i think that was much modified. yeah that but... was i bought that that was the st i replica i bought that yeah. done but that but this car is one i restored through and it was just a really nice project and that kind of got me involved with the magazines a little bit because i'd been featured and and so forth on the mags and that's also how my instagram page kind of started yeah so my cars have always been private to me um my wife's a lot more private than i am and she didn't want me sharing pictures of nice cars on my social media so she said set up a car page so i said okay and then that's where the harris classics came from so we were sat having a glass of wine. What should I call it? Harris Classics. And if you go back to the start of my Instagram page, it's just all my old cars. Yeah. yeah. You know, weird and wonderful things that I've owned through from Pro Street drag cars to Cleo Williams to camper vans to you name it. I've had <laughs> the most <laughs> craziest cars over the years. And that's how the whole Harris Classics kind of thing started. So it was always just meant to be a, um, a fun car page just for people, just to share my love for vehicles really yeah yeah Um, Yeah. that's how that started i I have to say i drove that um 70 is it 73 s 72 with the oil Oil flap flap, yeah yeah. um i drove that i was it was kyle fortune that wrote the article for tr11 but i came along for the day and helped with the driving and um to this day that's one of the nicest 915 gearboxes that i've had the pleasure of shifting it was really really nice i think the gearbox had been rebuilt hadn't it no no, so that, that, so with that car, that was a three-owner car with 66,000 miles. Oh, okay. And when I first got it and drove it, again, it's the same road that, that, that all the stories go back to. With Dad in the 86 and me in my first 911, it's, it's behind where we are. And I drove it down there and I thought, bloody, this thing's amazing. Yeah. You know, it was on the period, correct, Michelin tyres with the cam. And I remember driving it thinking, this is lovely. And the problem I had with that is when it was red and a bit tatty, I'd drive it. Then when we restored it, my concern was was losing that Porsche tightness that you get. Yeah, you know, there's a there's an element to the cars that when you then take them apart, you can lose a bit of that 
that's there from the factory you know how tight things feel yeah. yeah so with that things that like the steering box the gearbox if they were good we left them mm-hmm. they didn't need to be changed yeah well yeah i mean rebuild or not i i remember the shift on that car and and it is as a standout it was a standout car and a standout shift and again we kind of said on the pod before with that 915 gearbox it can either make or break the driving experience on on those long hood long hood and early g series cars yeah um because obviously they're 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 not as bulletproof as the g50s a bit more temperamental particularly when cold um so I remember that actually, and I know where you've mentioned magazines, and I think this is just to paint the picture for listeners where Ian, you and I know each other. Yeah, was yeah. So not long after that, and you had that feature in Total Nine Eleven magazine, among others. Um, you then became a columnist, and actually, there's all three of us sitting around the table have a column in, in yeah. Total Nine Eleven magazine, which is quite interesting. Um, but then, yes, yeah, so this was probably a good marker of how things started changing for you because I, I used to love it when Ian was sending in his copy each <laughs> issue, have a read, and it'd say, oh, I've bought whatever yeah, yeah. it was, followed by the classic <laughs> sentence, this one's a keeper. <laughs> and then next month, Ian had sent an ask me going, yeah, I sold it. Now, whatever yeah. car it was. So, but this, so this is where you were saying, you know, things were changing and growing in quite an organic way where you were perhaps crossing over from self-interest cars into trade yeah it was always embarrassing with the articles because it was like <laughs> i've bought a new car this month but i can't i can't mention it because <laughs> i bought a new car last month and, <laughs> you know what the reader's gonna think and it was what it was one of those ones where i've got like it was two things it was life was good for me and i was like I've, there's a lot of cars i want to own in the yeah, poor yeah. thing you know i want to experience all of them and go through them and then at the same time i was realizing that i'm enjoying the buying and selling and, and and got a bit of a knack for it so lots of different things were changing at the same time but the nine six before we get into the kind of buying and selling how i got into 964s was i had a garage full of porsches and i loved them and i forget which car i sold but i sold one and i remember i i bought a mclaren i'll never forget it i bought a 12 seat i'm completely contradicting myself and everything I've just said because I remember seeing this I went to I went to to dealership to look at a Porsche and there was this McLaren for the same price and I was like that's cheap and look at it it's got gullwing doors and all this and I bought it got it down to the house and it looked amazing and I drove it and I was like this is cool for about the first two weeks and then I realized this is really sterile you know, the suspension was hydraulic. I wasn't getting much feedback. And I bought it for all the wrong reasons, like all the wrong reasons. So I had it for, it was probably about six months in the end. And all my friends were like, oh, he's got a McLaren. And I was like, this is not why I've bought this car. I like cars to drive for me. And yeah. it was, I couldn't park it at my work, you know. So I sold it and bought 964. And I sold the McLaren for £61,000. And the 964 I bought was a good £35,000 more than that. And my friends, I showed them pictures, said, oh, the McLaren's gone, I've got this 964. And they were like, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> you've, 
And they were like, is it half the price? I was like, no, it was pretty much 50% more. And they just thought I was mental. Like, yeah. absolutely. Like, you've sold what and bought what? They just didn't, they just didn't get it. And the, the 964 in question was Andy Bruce's old grey 964. Yes. Oh, which, yeah. which had a, a very good story at- attached to it, which is a whole podcast in its own, really. But the long and short of it was it was an RS replica, but built with genuine RS parts. Yeah. And I remember driving it. And just thought, this is amazing. Manual, no traction. I, I just fell in love with it. It's just instant. I could park it at work. It, it made me want to get up on a Sunday morning and go for a drive. Yeah. And that was what. That was it. That's, I think I saw. Was that car about last weekend at uh, Boxing Gas on the collecting cars stand? Uh, it put, yeah, it was sold through collecting cars. It would have been that had yellow calipers. Yeah. It was um, grey. Yeah. Roll cage. Yes, that's got a genuine yeah, RS yeah. engine in it, it RS running like it, gear. Yeah. yeah. So basically there was a, a, a Japanese RS, genuine 964 RS that had to be destroyed. It was a clone car that was sold through um, Port Reading, I believe. And the running gear was sold off. So the brakes, engine, gearbox, um, most of the bits that make up an RS, less the mag wheels and the alley bonnet. Um, and... Andy Bruce uh, built an RS replica with yeah. that, you yeah. know, from a, a proper nut and bolt restoration, yeah. you know, like proper nut and bolt. So I had that car for a long time and that just cemented to me that the, the latest and greatest isn't the best. Yeah. And I like driving, you know, and I would go out in the wet and try and get the back out. I took it to drift. I took it to um, skid pans in it and just really started Explored. to enjoy that car. Yeah. And, it's just pretty. And also, I could park it at work. You know, people would appreciate it. they go, that's a nice car. Yeah. Not, you know, it's a red Ferrari or... Yeah, yeah. You're out. You know, it just it just was a, the nice thing to own. And that kind of cemented the, the nice... So was that your first 964? No, that was my second one. Yeah. That was my second one. The first one I had had 280,000 kilometers on the clock, was left-hand drive, and was the biggest pile of crap I've ever owned in my life <laughs> and I love that as well yeah. just because of the character in it you know you couldn't park it outside because it would fill up with water it was, it was a horrible thing <laughs> um, but it was cheap I paid £20,000 for my first 964 yeah. you know and the second one was nearly six figures and you know it's, is what it is but I don't regret either either one so that kind of cemented the my love for the older cars. Yeah. Um, it's cracking because the, the, that second 964 that you mentioned is the complete antithesis of that McLaren. So it's a, it's a really brave move to jump from one into the other. It's complete, complete sea change. Um, especially when you consider your first 964, you know, like you say, you, you, you loved it, but it had its foibles is probably fair to say. So it's a, it's a brave move brave move but it's a right move because i i loved it mm, you yeah. know and as i said any car that makes you want to get up at six in the morning and go for a drive it's doing the right thing for me that's what it's about yeah and uh, as i got older i think when you're younger you're trying to i don't know if it's the same but you're sometimes trying to prove things mm-hmm. and i was at a state where i don't need to prove anything to anyone in my life and i'm and i like cars because of the way they make me feel for driving them mm-hmm. not what it looks like not how it portrays and that's why i love you know they, that's why i love porsches really because they're so subtle even up to 992s and 991s and things like that they're just they're not larry but yeah. yet they're mega cars that you yeah. can you can really 
really drive. So, mm. yeah. I, th- I think we're kind of there or thereabouts now in your story. So we're kind of approaching the pandemic, which is where there was a bit of a change for you. But before we go down that route and really dive into 964s, you had a recent T911 column, which told a wonderful story about a martini turbo. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I really feel our listeners would love to hear that because it, it's a sensational story. So always as it goes back to having the campervan business it's all about this buying and selling and looking for for deals and i I just met my wife at the time and we were living in patcham in brighton which isn't the most desirable of areas it's you know it was we were there for circumstances and so forth and it suited our lives at the time it wasn't somewhere we aspired to live so to paint a picture this on the outskirts of brighton um semi-detached houses very normal place and a local estate agent whose wife was friends with my wife via facebook that's why i love social media <laughs> has said your husband likes Porsches, doesn't he and charlotte's responded, you know saying yes yeah and he said well we've just gone to value a house in patcham it's got a Porsche in the in the in the garden and i was like so i got this guy's number i was like well I live in Patcham. Yeah. You know, this is weird. And I said, what's it like? He said, oh, it's rusty and it's horrible. So in my head, I'm painting, sorry to say this, but I'm painting a picture of like an old transaxle car sat there. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking like, you know, something that's been parked up. In, yeah, and yeah, not, yeah. in the undergrowth. And, and, not, and, not, and not loved. So I kind of ignored it really for about three weeks, maybe maybe four weeks. And it was itching away because I was thinking, what is it? And I used to walk up the road to get to Marks and Spencer's to get on dinner and i would always jump over the fences to see if i could see this car because i kind of knew where it was and so one day i took a different route home and jumping over the fence i've jumped over one and sure enough i've seen this porsche in the garden i thought bloody hell that's that's pretty cool and it was literally <laughs> like in in the garden and i kind of peered over and i'm looking and i'm like that's a that's a i don't know what it is i didn't know a lot about porsche then this is I need to look on my phone, but I'm thinking 2007. I don't know. I need to, I need yeah. to check, but yeah. it, was a, it was a long, long time ago. Yeah. It was at the start of my kind of mid Porsche journey, whatever it might've been. No, it might've been when I was 30 actually around then. Cause that's when I met my wife. And, um, so I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, it's wide arches. It's white. It's the turbo. It had these stripes down the side, which I hadn't seen before. So I took some pictures of it, tried to buy it. And the guy who owned it was not, it was a pretty mad guy to be fair and he had had it as his company car he had had a nervous breakdown and moved to cyprus i believe to get better um and then had been out there for 12 or 15 years yeah. and his son had been looking after the house the car originally was in the garage and had just been kind of like painting as in really nice condition and his son got two stories here i forget which one it is but his son pushed the car out the garage to either store motorbikes in there or build a gym in the garage (laughs) so he didn't have the car the keys to the car but it was a garage with doors at either end and they pushed out and turned into a home gym or for bikes it was something like that and that's where the car sat for 15 16 years (laughs) three three liter martini turbo with the dr fernhand seats the correct spec it was the one you know apparently there's seven eight or nine yeah, martini turbos yeah. there's three or four three liters the rest are 3.3s this was a three liter supposedly the old court show car but you know that's only what people have told me and so i knocked on the door and tried to buy this car and it just 
it wasn't happening. The guy was, I want a hundred grand for it. I was like, it's, yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> and as I, I never forget, he, I went over and had a look at it. And I opened up the door and water came out. The sunroof was semi-open. It was full of water. And it was green. And I'm thinking, this is mad. And it had no paperwork. It had a V5, like an original V5. And it was a three-owner car, 76,000 miles. Long story short, I tried to buy it for ages. And he just wanted more money than it was worth. And then, so I let it go. And then about six months later, I got a phone call from him. And he, he said the car needs to be gone on Monday. It's like on a Friday night. We agreed a figure. <laughs> we agreed a figure and he said, it needs to be cash. I was like, it's Friday night. I don't have cash. So I literally like, all weekend was friends, dad, <laughs> family, you name it, anyone I knew. I was like, I need to borrow some money. And sure enough, I dragged my dad into it. We went there on Monday morning, gave him the money. Had to had to chop a tree down. That's how long the car had been there. There was like a had to chop a tree down, take the fence panels down, got it out, and then got it to um got it to work. Didn't know what to do with it. Obviously, original it was a you know super original car. Yeah. And at that time, it was just when I was getting married, and the house that we were living in belonged to my wife's sister. We were house sitting it for her. She'd moved to Canada, so that's why we didn't really want to live in that area. But it it worked for us. And we got married. The car was in my unit, the camper vans, just sat there on a trailer, still on the trailer because we couldn't really move it. Everything was seized up. Yeah. And what was interesting is where it sat back in the soil, the, I think that, did they have a magnesium gearbox or something like that? Mm-hmm. But the bottom of the gearbox had completely disappeared. You could see the, the gears. Oh my and where Porsches normally rust, this one ha- didn't. It was bizarre. So like, where it had been sat back, like the inside of the engine lid had water in it that had completely gone, but the floor pans in the front were solid. It was it was bizarre because it had been backwards. It had been on the hill. Yeah. And the worst part about it was the engine and gearbox had basically been in the mud. So anyway, I put a forum, uh, a post up on the Porsche Owners Club GB forum looking for information. Me and my wife get married. We're on our honeymoon. And I get an email from someone saying... I want to buy the car. I said, well, I'm just looking for information. They made an offer, which I accepted there and then. <laughs> it was it was definitely more than double of what I just paid for the car. <laughs> yeah. And um, called his bluff. Sure enough, we're on our honeymoon and the full money in full was transferred to my account. So our honeymoon was just like, wow. Yeah, what a honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and this is how weird things work out because... I didn't have the money to restore that car. And if I had, I wouldn't have done it justice because at the time I didn't have the money. So I'd have cut corners. I just wouldn't have done what that is justice. And the money that we got for it bought the house off my wife's sister. So we bought that house, which we then refurb, which we did well for. And then that stemmed on our then property career. We've then been buying and selling properties to get to where we are today. So I'm a strong believer in like, what goes around comes around because all the circumstances from, from literally the initial like inquiry on it to then getting it to then getting the offer out the blue like that. And then that buying our first house, which we weren't really wanting to, to live in, which then turned to be a really nice area. And we did, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all good news from there. Yeah. 
<laughs> so we wouldn't right. have we wouldn't have the house we're sat in now if it wasn't for that car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that car's now at Williams Crawford. Williams Crawford. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they've done a mega job of it. It looks awesome. Yeah, looks have you seen it? Awesome. Yeah, I, I had to poke around it. I was at Williams Crawford uh, October last yeah. year. Had to poke around it. Put a story up on Instagram. And uh, yeah, Ian messaged me saying, "That's my old I, car. I can tell you about that car <laughs> if you like sometime." And uh, yeah, the, the, the restoration has been sublime from the pictures Ian you, you've showed me of, of the car yeah. in the undergrowth of this garden to looking utterly resplendent in wow. the showroom at Williams Crawford. It's quite a journey for all involved. I think it got it got shared. So origin, the original post I put out on social media many years ago got shared onto one of these um, barn find groups, yeah. which went viral. So I had Magnus Walker calling me up. That was his dream car. Yeah. I had people from all over the world, you know, messaging yeah. me about this car. It was a, it was a pretty, it was a pretty cool thing. But what's funny with that car is I spoke to Adrian from Williams Crawford about it I've, loads of times. They've invited me down there to see it. But I've just not, not had the t- chance yet, but it had no paperwork. Yeah. So it had a V5. It had a picture of it in its early days. It was a 70, 76 car, 76, three litre. And when they were restoring it, they prized open the glove box, which was locked, and the paperwork was in there. So oh, all wow. the documents, history, and everything was in there, which Encapsulated. I the, the owner That's had lost. Fantastic. I hadn't seen it. Was only when they restored it and got it. So there was history with it, which I think is a really a really cool thing. Yeah. So yeah, this is. Pretty cool story. Yeah, yeah that is, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And, and that absolutely must have given you the, the taste, really, for diving into these oh, cars and the history behind them. And- big time. The, the buzz you get from that, and it's the, it's the searching, the hunting. You know, I'm obsessed with barn finds. And, you know, just that, for me, that's the biggest, the biggest thrill of it is hunting out the something search, that's special yeah, like the yeah. like the 2.4s we spoke about that was a really special car it had been for sale on car and classic forever in red i did some poking around find out as viper green that was a really special car it's a three owner car it yeah. was supposedly one of two or one of three in 72 and viper green in right hand drive 2.4s yeah. so you know that that for me is the buzz but yeah, yeah the internet is everyone knows about cars and things and they're you know they're still out there though yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) they're still out there hiding away so you you got chucked by the Sheila that helped the business start with (laughs) VW Campus (laughs) and that's kind of grown from there you've had a bit of um, money to play around with so you've been able to uh, try a few different Porsches and kind of indulge in that side it's then got to a stage where you've kind of been buying them trying them selling them on and then we're at the pandemic stage now so spring 2020 yeah so yeah early 2020 we were in thailand for a wedding um in march and we were on a beautiful island with nothing to worry about so we didn't know the severity of covid it was escalating really quickly in the uk um and our family were getting concerned about us. And we're like, we're fine. We're on a beach, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Having a whale of a time. Yeah, having a whale of a time. What's COVID? Mm-hmm. And then um, Landon had a pretty big shock because within a, um, within five days, I was closed the doors to my business. Um, it was, it was I'm, I'll never forget, I closed it on the Friday. We had to, we weren't within the parameters of keeping open. We were showroom and staff and we couldn't social distance and everything with the way we manufacture. Yeah. So I closed the door on the Friday, on the Saturday morning, I went and looked at work and sat there crying, basically. 
I was just, you know, I just didn't know where I was going to be. Yeah, this what, this business I've next? built up for 20 years, you know, very proud of what we've have, have achieved over the years. We changed the camper industry in terms of like how vehicles were, were sold. You know, we did a lot. It was all good. Um, so kind of didn't know where to be. That was on the Friday, Saturday. I cried, <laughs> had the weekend. Monday came, obviously didn't go to work. Yeah. Really good weather. I was like, wait, I'll cut the grass. Perfect. Tuesday came, right, do the hedges. <laughs> Wednesday came, I'll strim today. You know, you get to Thursday, I'm quite an active person. I like to sit still. It's like, <laughs> Human dynamo, oh, call it. What am I, I going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So the first week had gone and we had really good weather. And I was like, okay, that was a holiday, but I'm now bored. You know, I need to do something. Um, so just thought, you know, buy some Porsches <laughs> as, as you do <laughs> and I was quite lucky because at that time kind of quite a few dealers that I know um were concerned yeah offloading you know, stuff, offloading really. some stock yeah. yeah exactly that so I bought some cars um valid to them at the house sold them on that was good fun and kept me busy so that was just as a bit of a hobby then, really. just a hobby yeah. yeah just you know and also I like to drive different cars so I was like, oh, not had a 993 2S before. I'll buy one. I've not had a, whatever it may be, a 991. Yeah. I was buying anything and everything. But it was always something that I liked. I wasn't, didn't care about the profit. It was, do I like the car? And it was basically buy it, drive it for a week, clean it up, sell it. Yeah. You know, scratch that itch and, and off it mm. went. So that kind of happened through 2000. And then obviously things lifted and we could open up the business and so forth. But at that kind of time, I had made a few decisions through what a lot of people have through COVID is like, not where do you want to be in life? But I built my camper business up for 20 years. Yeah. Worked very hard at it. Very good business. But I've kind of, I was at a point where I've done this, you know, I start and I was also, I started to lose passion and I'm passionate about everything that I do. And not getting short temper, but I was just losing interest in it. You yeah. know, it just wasn't what it used to be for me with, with customers and things like that. And, and also I found that customers were getting harder because of expectations. It was just getting a bit difficult. So I've, I've, I'm very fortunate that the team that I've got now and the team that we've had for a long time have been with me for a very long time. So um, I put them in charge of the business and basically said, I'll be here a day a week. I'll check financials, etc. I'm still here if you need me, but ultimately I'm going to go and, play with cars and that's what i did so for 2000 uh, 2020 sorry was just buying selling cars and having a bit of fun taking a bit of time out as well really just you know time with family and doing different things and that's where the harris classics instagram page which was originally for my personal cars was then a uh, my my web shop you know it was my my my, my front it was you know the showroom for advertising things and, and engaging with people and building up a following and just getting more involved in cars really with the, you know, the articles and driving and going to shows and just being quite social with people. The Porsche scene is amazing. It's, it's, it reminds me very, from a VW background, it reminds me of the VW background. Yeah. VW background, it doesn't matter if you've got a hundred thousand pounds split screen or a 2000 pound T25, your friends, you've got something to talk to. And in, Porsche, McLaren, Lamborghini, all that, it's a lot of snobbering. In Porsche, you don't get that. 
Every, that's everyone's because, interested because most of the guys are XBW guys yeah, I'm exactly. sure yeah. of it well exactly. it is and, that, and that's where it's really linked and that's what I love about the Porsche scene you go to these shows and I walk past the 992 GT3 and there'd be a really quirky 914 or something like that I'm like this is cool Yeah, you know I love that it's great and and what's been interesting is through Instagram is I've got my friends that I've grown up with all my life Like I've got my friends I've known since I was five and so I'm 42, and then I've got my car friends, which is all through Instagram and through Porsche. And I've got some really good friends. I go on driving holidays with them. I talk to them almost every day. I engage with people all across the world, New Zealand, Australia, everywhere through Instagram. And it's just a great, it's just a great platform. And everyone's got something to talk about. And people ask me questions and vice versa. It's just, I, for me, I love it. Yeah. I can sit there all night, not watch TV. My wife watches, you know, soaps and malarkey. And I'm on Instagram talking to people. Yeah. You know, just engaging. And I th- that's just the best thing for me. I love it. Yeah. takes up a lot of time, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, you know. Yeah. So you, we've, we're at this stage now then where you've been buying and selling some cars. That's gone quite well. That's proven fairly successful. You've found that you really like 964s. And there seems to be a bit of a sweet spot there. So you, I suppose there's a bit of a natural... Uh, collision of ideas almost yeah so i never so again great story i've got a friend of my father's he's got a business around the corner here it's an aviation business he it's the largest independently owned aviation company in the world he's a self-made billionaire most humble guy you've ever met he was a baggage handler at gatwick and i remember he's friends with my dad i remember going up to him years ago and saying what's the key to success he said stick to what you know and do it the best you can and that stuck in my head. And I asked him that question many, many years ago. So with the camper van business, I was stuck to doing what we did. When it came to the Porsches, I was buying and selling anything I could. And it's difficult because there's a wide range of cars and sometimes you get it wrong and sometimes you get it right. Yeah. And, and owning 964s, I kind of found myself going, well, I know these cars really well you know and they're hard cars to price because a lot of the cars in the marketplace are on sale or return they're on commission they're owned people are chancing their arms because there's a lot of hype over them but you need to dial down into what they're actually selling for so through buying and sellings i found that i had a knack for buying a 964 at the right price and selling it at the right price because i'd advertise a car and within a week it was sold and it just I just fell into this rhythm of them. So all the other cars that I was selling disappeared and I just started focusing on them. That kind of brings us into 2021 and then obviously this year where I got to know them so well that a dealer, so someone wants a Partex, Porsche themselves, Aston Martin dealer, anyone in the UK, um, Ireland, wherever, could phone me up and say, right, we've got a C2 manual coupe, 76,000 miles, guards red, linen interior, how much? And I'd be like, I'll give you a price, you know, and stick to it. So I, was, I found that I was underwriting a lot of cars for lots of companies because they didn't know. They'd go on piston heads and auto train. they go, well, that's 40 and that one's 70. That's quite a, a spread. And yeah. I was like, well, I'll give you this amount. So I've, I've been underwriting cars for a year and a half, 964s for people. And have a good grasp on where they need to be, what sells. And the problem you have with them is there's a lot of hype. Um, for all the right reasons, I'm the biggest fan of 964s. I could talk for them forever on mm-hmm. 
weight, size, narrow body, power, drivability, analog. I just love that. They're just for me. They're you know fits you. They're just they're for me. They're perfect. You know, I can't fault them. They're beautiful. I just love everything about them. But people's expectations because of the hype and things are sometimes over what they were. So I just found myself, I kind of knew what I was doing, could buy them, knew the cars well enough through, I had a bad experience. Uh, I won't talk about it with a car, um, which I lost a huge amount of money on a 964. And through the the repair process on it, I learned a lot about how they were made. So I know yeah. about where the spot wells are, genuine seam and to spot original panels and tubs and everything like this. So I just kind of found that they were a niche for me. And yeah, I, I kind of hit the ground rolling with them, and I've you know we've I've sold a, a huge amount, or you know a, a huge amount of them over the last year and a half. Um, yeah, I can't keep up. There's a, there's a lot. <laughs> I've seen so many pictures of them over the over the time on on your little there's Insta. A, and there's a lot, want... and, but I'm getting new. What's nice is I'm getting new people into them. So someone yeah. might have a modern Porsche PDK nine nine one something. And they're, they're hankering after a classic car, you know, and that's where they like, they'll come here. I'll be like, I remember a guy coming over to test drive a car. He said, can I drive it? I was like, there's a radio. I've got a radio. We went for a, nearly a 45 minute drive to Goodwood and back, you know, overtake now driving. He came back. He's like, wow, that was amazing. I was like, well, I enjoyed that as much as you did. Cause I've just got to go for a drive on a Saturday morning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, I wasn't expecting that sold i was like you know win-win here yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. just nice that new people are coming into them and appreciating them but the problem you've got with 964s is that one they're expensive to buy but two they're bloody expensive when they go wrong and maintaining them yeah and like really expensive and there's people that i know at the moment that are into their cars for obscene amounts of money that they're never going to get back um so they're great in terms of looks, desirability, rarity. I think there's, according to the website, you can type in the MOTs as 370 something C2 manual coupes taxed on Is the that road. It? Mm. Jeez. C2 manuals. Um, but then on the, on the wrong side, if you buy the wrong one or something, they, they're a money pit. Yeah. You know, yeah. my, my black one, which people know I, regularly share it on my instagram which is at harris classics mm-hmm. thank you um <laughs> it's a really nice car uh but the invoices from the previous owners are eye-watering yeah just over two hundred thousand pounds spent on that car it's just ma- it mad when i look through it i think this is madness yeah the car's not worth anywhere near that but that's that's what there's bits of paper for yeah. so you know they're without their without their faults yeah and that's where the whole um, process of what I do with the cars kind of isn't a bad thing, but it is it's sometimes a good thing. So when I buy a 964, I've got different avenues with that car. And sometimes I can buy a car at a retail price. I've, I've got a great example of one that we've got at the moment that I bought, paid really strong money for it. Did my inspections over the phone, um, pictures, everything that I wanted as per. Bought the car, it was delivered to me. It was a Tiptronic, it's a C2 Tiptronic coupe in black. When it got delivered to me, the starter motor had gone. 
which would annoy most people because you can't bump it. It's a Tiptronic. It meant having yeah. to get it on a trailer. Took it to my Porsche workshop and it wasn't the starter. It's the worm gear within the gearbox, mm-hmm. which is engine out, gearbox stripped, new gearing, massive bill. Yeah. So that car, it, if that had been bought by, and plus also there was a lot of rust on there within the bodywork that I hadn't seen the pictures. The pictures were taken by the seller in a way that... I didn't see the rust. It was around yeah. the front front windscreen, rear windscreen, around the, the, the arches where they go. So I've bought this car. It's fine. If a member of the public had bought that, it's 50, just over 50,000 pounds that car was, they'd be into a good, and it needed a top end. Hadn't had a top end rebuild. Oh, yes. Has said, it's it's hun- mounting hun- 140,000 mile car. Yes, it's had a top end. Get the paperwork. No, it hasn't. Well, to a retail person, that's a 20,000 pound bill on top yeah. of that car. Paint, engine out do everything you're into it that car now owes them way more than it's worth yeah so the avenues that i've got with all the cars is i've got a very big list of backdaters obviously 964s are the chosen car for backdating and, and so forth so that car at that point was then going to backdata it's not financially viable for me or anyone else to see that through yeah but it's perfect to be chopped up and made into something else so that's what happens with the cars that i buy i look at them assess them if i buy something it's really nice really tidy i put it through my paint shop at work prep it put it through a porsche garage that i've used for 20 years prep it service it sell it retail three months warranty the whole shebang if that car isn't fitting the grade then it's either exported to australia there's a massive demand for 964s in australia huge demand at the moment so it goes over to there or it goes to one of a number of backdaters across the world or in the uk so i'm not doing a service because obviously 964s are being taken off the road and they're a dying breed and they're very desirable but sometimes cars could be a member of the public's worst nightmare yeah and that example i just gave you is is one of many cars that i've you know bought that haven't been as advertised and it's just going to be a headache for someone well, you're keeping yeah. the car on the road then because although yes it's going to a back date it's going to take on a different form yeah. and a different appearance but like you say otherwise it's kind of not financially viable the the, the, nice the interesting job. yeah yeah the, the the interesting bit here is um as you've alluded to these a lot of these cars are going to backdate companies of kind of various degrees the, the the number of 964s out there is dwindling so surely your job as you know the 964 sourcer and distributor is going to be harder next year than this year and it's going to be even harder the year after that and the year after that and the year after that so you know how how does that make you feel and how what do you think that's going to look like going forward for everybody in 964s it's really conflicting because i'm a massive fan of the car you know, in my garage, I've got three. They're my personal cars. I, yeah. You know, they're three there. I, I had four that were my personal. I've now got three. And very passionate about them. Love them. Yes, I can see what's happening in the marketplace. With that, the uh, the companies, I don't know why all the companies decide to use 964s as a, as a base. Some people should be designing their own chassis. You know, those companies are big enough to, to do that, that they should be, like Roof does, have mm-hmm. their own custom chassis and type approval and so forth. Um, what does it stand for the 964 market? It's not looking wonderful. 
you know, it, it can't deny what's happening. They're very desirable and lots of people are, are building them. And then there's more and more people turn them into electric as well. So you've got that, that side happening as, as well as the emissions people want to have them in London and, you know, old air cooled engines leaking and smoking. So people are converting them to electric as well. So yeah, there's lots of things happening. I don't know where we'll be in the future, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a, the 964 is a, a victim of its own success in a way because we go back 10 years and you could pick 964s up very cheaply. Oh, yeah. you know, extra, you, I've you, told that story about yeah. a friend that bought one for, I think, about 13 grand. Yeah, you, it would be a 964 or an SC if you wanted your yeah. entry-level kind Absolutely. of Porsche, you know, this before, you know, 996 came along or whatever. So the journey it's been on since has been absolutely astronomical. It's been wonderful. Um, but where they have got kind of so valuable to the everyman and woman, you don't see as many of them knocking around, whether it's, I feel like you used to, and, and it's, you know, that people aren't using them. And, and also, even if they're, they're not using them, they, they're not selling them because I think, well, I don't know, I might hold on to that for a bit. So the, the, my favourite game when I'm buying 964, if the customer's had it for 15 to 20 years, my favourite game is guessing what they bought it for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, because often I'm handing over 50, 60,000 pounds for a car and I said, but you bought that for 12 and they went, oh, close 13. I'm like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you just think about it. There was one, a CT manual coupe I bought um, last year. The, the invoice was in there when they bought it, 8,900 pounds. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it, it, it is mad. They were so undesirable. Uh, a 993 is a better built car, you know, in terms of getting to the nitty gritty of it and engineering and build quality. A 993 is a better car, but they've just kind of hit the ground running really. Um, the thing that I found at the moment, I think prices, I have to say, I think prices have probably peaked a little bit. And the last week I've bought four cars. Um, last two weeks where I bought four cars, which were, were very, very well priced. And the thing that I've found is cars are advertised at crazy money but they're not selling not selling yeah. and i know what they sell for you know because i'm buying them and i'm selling them um all across the world so that's the biggest problem someone's expectations is completely different to what the real price is yeah. and i honestly feel with what i've witnessed over the last kind of two three weeks is that they're, they're softening um i think we've we've peaked slightly with them and some of the deals that i've had recently and a lot of it's down to one I bought the other day um, as an early car. So the head starts had gone on it, need a top end. You know, he said, well, I can't really afford to get that done. Yeah. You know, that's seven, nine, ten thousand pounds for top end rebuild. I'll sell it. So, you know, people are realizing, and you've got some people that say they're too expensive. They should parts up in a garage. Yeah, and every yeah. time they get out, because they're not driving, the problem you've got is where people then don't drive these cars, they then go wrong. They need to be used. The wheels need to be turned. The engines need to be turned over. So someone parks up and goes, that's an investment. I'm yeah. going to park it up. Then takes it for their service at their local independent or, or Porsche and gets lumped with a really big bill for it. And then it becomes a burden. So I think the, I think everything's softening within the marketplace. Um, I don't think I'm out of place to say that with all, all cars have been at a Agreed. big high. Yeah. And... Yes, 964s are desirable. They're only worth what someone's going to pay for them. Yeah. There's a ceiling for everything and things are starting to definitely come down a little bit and we don't know where we're going to be. Fuel prices are you know, astronomical and mm. interest rates, everything and cost of living and 
blah 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 I've sold a lot of my cars I had a lot more in my personal collection than what I do now mm. and I've and I've whittled it down to the cars that I've got now I, you know yeah it must be good from because um, as we say like an, an advantage of what you do is is keeping cars on the road you know you you have an outlet for every car so there there is a happy scenario <laughs> for every car and there are many different not just cars but circumstances as we've touched on um, which is is kind of quite nice really to be honest with you um yeah can you ever see yourself kind of diverting off 964 and into say 993 or 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 anything else or do you just feel like you're that's your your game at the moment no Mm -hmm. but 993s are are on the radar yeah um and other models are um but the moment i just specialize in those because i I know them well when they when they become impossible to buy the thing that I've had within the business is I've pretty much um, not given up the business, but it runs itself now and I'm full-time on cars. Yeah. So obviously I, if I get to a point where I can't buy any 964s, then I have to go into something else. Yeah. And this is like a hobby business, you know, it, it, it's great fun. I love it. I feel like I've retired and won the lottery because every day I get to go and <laughs> yeah. look at it's cars and buy cars. things, you know, it's yeah. the best thing ever. I, I absolutely love it. And I, lo- and I love learning about all the cars. So yeah, I think 993s are definitely, definitely in there. But then there's other models as well that I'm looking at at the moment that I think are going to rock it in value. Mm. You know, I'm a fan of 991 GT3s. Um, once really unloved because of the engine problems. And, yeah. and now if you go online today and try to fire the right spec 991 GT3 with Club Sport, non-white ceramics, axle lift, you won't find one. Yeah. They're really sought after. Yeah. I've had five of those now. And I think they're amazing cars. I've bought one the other day. Yeah. I bought I, one. I'm not selling it. I think they're mega. I, I think this all comes into, um, there are a few factors at play here. This is just my personal opinion, is where we're going down the route of e-mobility, electrification, I know times are tough economically for, for, you know, generally speaking, everybody. Um, but I do feel like, and it's kind of mirrored in the special editions from Porsche, they're punting a lot out at the moment. Um, we're in a, we're entering a, a bit of a honeymoon period for the automotive enthusiast where just before things get murky in terms of we have to drive EVs every day. As enthusiasts, we're just celebrating the combustion engine and the very best of it. And if 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 somebody's idea of that is buying the 964 they've always wanted, or they're buying a GT3 because they want to say, I owned a car that revved to yep. 9,000 RPM and had a license plate. So it's a really nice period to be in, whether 964 or not. Um, that's my opinion. I have to say as well, from, from your point of view, with the sourcing of 964s, it must be nice from the seller's point of view to have you tip up at the door and say look yeah i'll take it because you you know it you've got a number of options rather than someone turning up thinking i'm going to try and knock them here or kick a tire and whatnot the the seller's winning because there's been many times every car i buy and i make it as as easy as it can be how much do you want for it i'm happy with that price there's a deposit it'll be picked up in two days time when the delivery, when the collection company gets there, they'll do a quick walk around video. You're back to the money in your bank. It's gone. It is as simple as it is. The amount of feedback I get from people that said, thank you for that. You made that really easy. And they're, they're winning. And if it, in the instances where the cars are not what they're meant to be, if I was a retail buyer, I'd be really upset. I'd be going back to them saying, you know, it's leaking oil. It's got this, everything. I just take it on the chin. It's just, it's business. So, and I've, you know, 
the seller is winning mm-hmm. you know i'm winning the buyers are winning yeah. it's all good but yeah i could i we have a very good buying process we, we could not make it easier yeah that's the price that's what i'll pay the money will be in your bank account it will be picked up you'll never see it again you'll never hear from me again it's very very simple yeah, yeah. and people really you know enjoy that because it is it's just simple yeah and there's there's obviously checks that we do you know hpi yeah various bits and pieces and do some checks on the car and so forth but yeah it could not it's you know it's like we buy any car than 964 where it's, it's bloody easy but we don't <laughs> we don't chip people down if we get there and the car isn't as they said and i've agreed to think i still buy it yeah because ultimately people need cars and I've got, I've got so many different avenues for it i go okay well that one's better than i thought let's retail that right that one can go to this country right that one can go to that back data you know there's mm. so many different avenues for them the only thing that changes on that is is the profit i make you know if it goes to back data i make less if i retail it i make more because we're offering warranty and prepping it yeah so that's the only factor that changes the yeah. price i pay is the price i pay yeah i love as well last time i was here we were driving the 964 anniversary you were selling that lovely car oh, for, yeah. for a youtube video aramis no a- amethyst, amethyst. Um, <laughs> if, if if those at home if you've not seen the video go and have a go and have a look on nine works tv but um was it amethyst yeah. no what color was that no, it was, it was Viola Metallic. Viola Metallic. They, they Viola did Metallic. Viola, Amethyst and yeah. Polar with yeah, the three Viola. anniversary colours for the 964. And uh, yeah, so we, we, we did that. Obviously, you helped out with a couple of tracking shots and whatnot. And um, well, you were off to Scotland after that, I think, because uh, you were chatting <laughs> to an owner. An owner just said, look, you know, <laughs> done the deal, but I'd quite like to meet you, you know, yeah. after chatting away. So you jumped on a plane on to... On a plane, to, off I go. Yeah, and went and but got it, which I thought was wonderful. I did that two weeks back to back. I went to Scotland twice in two weeks. <laughs> bought two 964 C2 manual coupes, both in red. It was mad. And then drove them back down, so, you know, all in the same thing. Was one of them in the snow? Do I remember that? Oh, it wouldn't surprise, wouldn't, su- <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Um, I enjoy trips like that. Yeah. I get to meet the owner. It's good fun. And then I get to drive a cool car back from Scotland, yeah. you know, going yeah. a long route down. I love a, I love a road trip. It's nice meeting the owners. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nice meeting the owners and listening to their, you know, the stories and that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just really good fun. Yeah. People are very passionate about their cars. It's... Yeah. Um, it's good, yeah. So, as as Mister Nine Six Four, what's your thoughts on this kind of uh, perennial C two v C four debate? Obviously, the C two is uh, more desirable, <laughs> but I mean, the C four is not bad, is it? It's still a good system. It's not. The thing that I've got is my Porsche watch workshop I've used for twenty years is twenty minutes up the road. It's yeah. on the same road that I live on the two eight one, and every single, I mean, literally every single day, I'm up there. So I'm one car up, one car down. So I can drive up in a C2, manual coupe, drive back in a C4, <laughs> get in a C2 and drive back. It's the same. And when I drive them back to back like that, I can tell the difference. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I can. You know, through the weight over the front, um, nimbleness, just bits and pieces, I can yeah. tell. If I haven't, if it's been a week in between or something, and the C4 is really well set up, as in geo has been done on yeah. decent tyres, you know, proper, it's got Bill Steins or KWs on it or something, then you're hard pushed to tell the difference. The thing with, this is my view, people probably backlash at this, but my view on this is C4s had a bad reputation when they were new. Originally, you could only buy a C4 before you could order C2. It yeah. was new technology. When the C4 came out, 
you 250 brake horsepower, you had old tyres, you know, in the 1990s. So they had a reputation for understeering. Well, set of PS4s, or like, it's not understeering, you know. Yeah. So modern tyres have changed those cars big time. So if if the C4 is well set up on de- on decent suspension with good tyres, then yeah, to most people, you'd be very hard pushed to, yeah. to tell the difference. You really would. And everyone modifying their 964s from someone who's got probably one of the most modified ones in the UK. My car is ridiculous six speed active suspension 3.8 993 variant around the list goes on mag wheels <laughs> mag custom mag wheels literally my, my car's ridiculous but all you need is 280 to 300 brake horsepower max you don't need any more than that so you can get them chipped exhaust a few very minor mods decent suspension is like number one very good geo properly geoed and maybe a bypass or cup exhaust that's it. Yeah. These people that are going down this route, spending crazy money, you know, replicating what they think a singer may be, it's not needed. Mm-hmm. My car is probably a bit overkill. It's 340 brake, horsepower, race clutch, six speed, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes I'll get in a nicely modified C2, you know, with sports seats, nicely set up, good suspension. I think, cool, this is, this is yeah. really nice place to be you know i could actually can't do, go too do, too far 100 percent go too yeah. far so people are chasing quite, power yeah i'm doing quite a big sort of refresh on the suspension and i've been very cautious in what i how far i go you know trying to come up with the right balance and i think you're quite right you can go way too yeah. far yeah you ruin it for, for uk roads people are trying to Think about what other manufacturers with 964s are doing in America and things like that, but you don't need 400 brake horsepower, yeah. four litre. You, you, you know, you, you don't for UK for yeah. our roads. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, Absolutely. these racing clutches and things, well, they don't have the M25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. my car in traffic, I would take a, a Prius over it. You know, <laughs> and I'll take any car, any car than my 964 in stop still traffic yeah, it's yeah. A, with a smell of clutch with the best drive in the world is horrendous yeah yeah, yeah. It's just what it is <laughs> I, I know um you know historically a lot of people would go for the look of uh cup look wheels um and teardrop mirrors but i mean like come on like for, from a desirability point of view flag mirrors and design 90 wheels surely that is just as cool D90s. these days i'm a massive fan of d90s and yes. flags and it's funny because when i first got involved in them every car i'd buy it was like flags and cups it was, yeah. it was the it was the norm yeah in my garage the one of the cars that i've got is the is a i've got two black c2 manual coupes both 1990 cars one's heavily modified you know as we've just said the other one is completely stock d90s flag 17,600 miles never been painted it is a beautiful thing um you're saying earlier about you know cars that one's there to to sit there forever you know because is it a keeper dare you say it's it? got to be it's got, <laughs> it's got to be Seventeen thousand miles i can't even drive i drove it i've driven it twice and each yeah. time it's been at night where there's been no traffic because the problem with original paint it's only original once yeah Someone prangs that or something, it yeah. ruins the car for me. I've mm. bought that because it's original paint, mm. like verified, completely done. So if it was a repainted car, I wouldn't be as um, precious over it. But yeah, it's it's a rare thing. I appreciate, you know, being yeah. original and that's just a rare thing to have. Yeah, yeah. What um, like interior shades or hues do you, do you like you're quite partial to that you quite like? 
So with the anything that's unique, so nine six four wise silver, black, blue. I hate to say it, and I'm going to again get backlash for this, but the price difference between a red nine six four and a car of a decent colour is almost five to ten thousand pounds. Why is that then? Don't know. There's just so but many it, reds, but, but it just is. Literally every almost all the sailing inquiries I get looking for a nine six four could be C four C two, can't be red. Literally weekly, it's yeah. it's crazy, it it's madness. But yeah, that that is a real thing. Yeah, and it's a shame. But most of the cars are red. Cars red. Yeah. But the unique, the more unique colours is just absolute desirability. So there was a car that ended in, in auction a couple of days ago, hundred ninety thousand miles. Not the nicest example. Um, tatty. You know, it wasn't a nice car. It was grey, and it and it went for all the money. Purely because of the colour. I've seen two grey yeah. 964 C2s, yeah. you know. Well, you had my favourite colour, didn't you? I've still got it. you still got it? Yeah, it goes to Australia on Monday. Oh. <laughs> you're going to be in that container with it, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the keys? I might steal it. <laughs> yeah. So that was the Targ, was it? That, that was Targ, yeah. yeah. Maroon? Murano Green. Green. Yeah, yeah, that's going to Oz on Monday. Does that, does that mean it's rubbish then? No, no, no! It's not. It's not rubbish. It's not being chopped up. That's that's going to a bar in Oz. Yeah. Awesome. Um, that's a cool car. Tan interior. Yeah, yeah. Green and tan. Absolutely fantastic looking thing. C yeah. two yeah. as well. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. The whole target thing. Like it's funny with nine six fours because my advice to people with them is that they are obviously expensive, and this whole convertible thing. Like it's got such a stigma attached to it, especially when you, you're a fan of nine nine three convertibles. Yeah, it's the same car. You know, forget yeah. the roof. The underpinnings is the same car. Yes, it's not, everyone wants a coupe. Don't get me wrong. I love coupes. My cars are coupes. But if your price dictates, you either buy a convertible 964, 993, or you don't because you just buy one. You're yeah. still going to enjoy it. And it's a stepping stone onto a ladder. Yeah. So, and, and so, the, you know, they're almost half the price. I think, wow. it's, ma- I think it's madness. It's half the price. Not far off, yeah. Wow. Between a C two and a and a and a cab is not far off half the value, really, or, or not far off that. And it's and it's not half the car, yeah. You know, it's, so yeah, I'm really getting a love for him. Yeah, we did a brilliant time. episode. I don't know if you've listened to it. Our first was episode it brilliant, was Andy? Oh, I, I thought it was. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, our first episode of the um, of this season was on the cab. So because it's forty years of the cabaret, cabaret. I can't say that word. Cabs. <laughs> what do you hear of the cabs? Um, and yeah, just that. I don't know. It's so cool. And, and yeah. you know, like you're saying, they, they might be half the value, but it's not half the experience. Not no. really. Okay, right. No. If you want, if you want to do a weekend at Spa, all right, fine. Yeah. But for you know, ninety percent of what the every man and woman will use that car for in this country, you, you're you're getting a. a Big big slice of ninety four experience, yeah. you know. Yeah. These cars aren't going to get used in the winter, so you know, yeah, Sussex or a nice place in the UK on a windy road with the roof down in in any convertible Porsche nine nine three nine six four. That's a nice place to be. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm super lucky because I get to drive all you know all the cars, including Tiptronics, and Tiptronics have got this stigma attached to them. And I've one of my personal cars that I've got in the garage is a um, Tiptronic. I've got a green Targa Tiptronic. Ha, yeah, yeah. And for me, that car suits my life because I've got young daughters. It's one in the front, 
go for a drive. I don't want to drive fast. I've got my family in there. Yeah. We cruise. We have the there. roof off. We have the music on. Sun's going. It's at that moment. I would rather it's be in perfect, that yeah. than any of my C2 manual coupes. Yeah. So they serve a a purpose obviously with noise is a pain leaking is a pain they need to be garaged because they leak you know the roofs are mm. they're not without their problems but they're not they're not bad cars at all yeah, yeah. But, but you know like again these days you'd, you'd put a 964 coupe in the garage anyway really you wouldn't leave it outside yeah. like you know um yeah, and and yeah. similarly i i think i said on the podcast before it was a, a wide-bodied 964 uh well turbo look car that had the four-speed tiptronic it suited the car wonderfully actually for yeah. just like a summer's day cruise about sort of car it worked really well but um you know i suppose if you're going for a car that will be your your one porsche in your garage you'd yeah, probably want to say what yeah like we refer to it as yeah. like the full fat experience i suppose full yeah. fat yeah but yeah. then you shouldn't rule out a c4 because then that well as i said like previously well set up you would be hard you know i think that really good cars you yeah, can have yeah. a lot of fun in, in a c4 yeah i sold I, I actually sold my 964 rs which i had which was a left-hand drive italian car thirty-two thousand miles and bought a right-hand drive c4 manual coupe yeah with yeah. a half decent engine set of bill steins on it and i and i enjoyed that car so much more than i did my rs it was um it was third of the value and i loved it because i could drive it yeah. wasn't precious had the sports seats was comfortable the rs suspension is incredibly stiff um the cars are very rigid for where i live with the roads they're not the best set up they skip down the road they don't flow so this c4 that i bought i bought it went up to lake district did loads of driving went over to cadwell did a, did a morning track in it you know and then drove it back and it was comfortable then on the traffic so there was a there's a lot to be said for that Mm, you know yeah. so and again this is gonna be controversial but in my view a really well set up c2 manual coupe is better is better is better than an rs yeah I, not, I not from rarity driver's point yeah. of view there's, yeah. there's no comparison I, I know um mark sumter at paragon will will absolutely tell me off for this because he's a, he's a big big fan of 964 rs's rightly so and, and we, we've had lengthy discussions on this in the past because for me a 964 rs is a very special 911 it's not in my top five 911 rs's because of that very reason that you can you can make a very good c2 get very close to an rs if not better with modern day technology yeah. and you're, you're not spending rs money i know an rs brings with it um, collectability and, and all the rest of it um but that that's that's the big win for me with with c2s in particular you know big big potential the, the big thing for me with those is you can't modify them mm, because yeah. they're an rs yeah and for me and there's three of us in it that have all got modified cars and modifying is half is half the fun oh absolutely because you buy something and you make it your own you've got and you've got a really unique 993 Lee, your car, you know, we've three of us have all got cars where there's features on all three of our cars that are different to anyone else in the UK, yeah. which make them our car, yeah. which makes them unique, which makes them special to us. And I think that's got a lot to be said for it in terms of like modifying because that's half the fun. Mm. What's the next project? What you can, well, you're, you're a nightmare with your project. Yeah. <laughs> every, every month there's a new project. <laughs> a project within a project. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Is your car going to be on the road this year sometime? It will be, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. In the next... Uh, can we take bets uh, on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's quality. Yeah, it will be. By the end of, uh, where are we, June? 
yeah, I think it'll be the end of June. It'll be in, just on the in time for Christmas. I yeah. think, yeah, I think yeah. the whole mod thing's important, and that's why I like again. I like Porsches over any other brand. If you took a Ferrari, McLaren, or something modified, you get frowned upon. When with what Porsches, you can you can do it, and you yeah. you're adding to it. You're not taking away. You're yeah. you're making it yours. And again, RS, you couldn't do that. You yeah. devalue it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You said for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the message really is. Any 964s out there, I think, should be getting onto Harris Classics on Instagram and, and, and letting people know what's around um, or, or them letting you know what they've got so you know what's around. But then uh, also, I suppose it probably works the other way. I mean, you know, there's a lot of cars, a lot of owners out there, maybe uh, on the, the list with Singer and whatnot, you know, that people need cars. So if yep. you're the Mr. 964 RS man, I think you're pretty much the man to go to. I've got cars coming through. It's more, it's more, it's more trying to trying to um, find them. Um, but yeah, obviously, drop me a line on Instagram and we'll see. But then it's also going out for drives. I've got lots of customers that I've sold um, cars to um, retail, and we meet up and go to shows and bits and pieces. And just it's, the more people that have Porsches is is a good thing for better. me. Yeah, yeah. It's more people to go driving with. <laughs> so <laughs> I enjoy. Yeah, cracking. All right. Well, Ian Harris. Thank from you, Harris Classics, Mister Nine Six Four. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I don't know about you, Andy, but I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it was a good little interview, wasn't it? It was. And do you know what I kind of have realised after chatting to, to Ian there is he's actually saving a lot of cars. Yeah, doing a bit of a, a service for the Porsche community, for, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, for that generation, you know. And yeah. it's kind of like it needs a little bit of... Um, looking after you know i feel yeah. and, and in, in many ways he's keeping he's keeping cars on the road because you know he has an outlet for them uh say ones that aren't particularly roadworthy or whatever where there's yeah the general public might not be able to like financially afford to keep that on the road he has outlets i backdate companies and whatnot um but also i feel like where more cars are being made into backdates and going off to Singer and everything else. We've spoken on the podcast before about the dwindling numbers and how difficult that is. Yeah. You know, at face value, that makes the future of the 964 quite uncertain. But I kind of feel easier about that, knowing that, you know, if somebody like Ian is going to kind of be in charge of overseeing the direction of those cars, I'm quite happy about that. Yeah, it's kind of filtering out the good and the bad so and, and making sure that the good are kept alive as 964s yeah and the the 964s that are really worn out are, are yeah getting a new lease of life elsewhere definitely you know there, there have been like things in the past you know with 964 and other cars but you know where someone has kind of uh, been a bit more unscrupulous and, and kind of hastily chopped up a 40,000 mile one owner car for <laughs> yeah. some sort of project you know but yeah. like with with um with harris classics that that's clearly like not going to happen so i feel like he's kind of i don't know almost like yeah the gatekeeper you know and, and the, the guardian of the future of 964s in a way and, yeah, and, yeah. I, and i do i feel kind of at ease about that because i i yeah i i don't want those cars to disappear they're an important cornerstone of 964 culture as well as the oh sorry of 911 culture as yeah. well as the 911 story. Yeah. So I don't want them to just disappear and all turn into singers or backdates or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You know? He's yeah, doing his good, good service. He, he is, well genuinely. Done, so yeah, thanks, Ian. We really appreciated the chat today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, happy days. What what else we got going on? What else coming? Uh, we've got the Flax 6 show coming up at Goodwood. Uh, that's only 
what is that two or three weeks time coming up i think so yeah well yeah start of july that is yeah um, july the oh we're not very prepared for this today are we? <laughs> it's the first weekend in july yeah july the 9th yes um and well we're going to be there Yep, we're going to have a presence there, which is going to be absolutely awesome. So we're very hopeful of putting together a really cool episode of Nine Works Radio, chatting to some awesome people that are going to be at Flat Six Show. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's uh, being kind of jointly run by Sean at Ren Eleven and the guys from Players. It's going to be at uh, Goodwood at the Motor Circuit, and there's going to be all manner of cars there, particularly modified, which we kind of hasn't really been too well represented in years gone by in our community i would say yeah uh water cooled and air cooled yeah and quite a few special cars there uh including a gunther works car uh, which we're going to get a tour around yeah um so we can get on the track with it as well that'd yes. be nice wouldn't it yes that would uh, be great you're gonna be hitting the track yes very much hoping to little irish yep excellent um, I might do with mine. Oh, if it's on the road if by then. If it's on the road. Yeah, very good. Yeah, but it should yeah, it should be there. Um, whether it's trackworthy by that time, I'm not sure. But okay. <laughs> yeah, it'll be back on the road. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, come and find us. We're Allegedly, we've been told we're at the end of the pit lane in the tower, which is ironic because it'll be a radio tower, <laughs> the, the Nine Works radio tower for the day. But um, we're not going to hold Sean to that at this stage. <laughs> Absolutely. At, at this stage. Um, but yeah, look, tickets are still available. So uh, I think the website is flatsixshow.com or .co.uk. That's it, yeah. So go and grab yourself a ticket there. Come and say hello. Like We'd, we'd love to have a chat with as many of you as possible um, and share your stories, as always. But, uh, yeah, look, there's there's far more going on there than just uh, the presence of Andy and I yeah. and Max and Neil, that's for sure. And the week before, we're going to Classic Le Mans Classic. Yeah. Looking yeah. forward to that. It's going to be awesome, I think. Like we were saying earlier on on the, on the journey to Ian at Harris Classics that... Um, it kind of the prospect of Le Mans Classic is possibly more exciting than actual Le Mans these days. Yes, yeah. So. Which is funny because we saw a few cars uh, looking like they were going down to the ferry at Portsmouth tonight. Yeah, yeah, heading out for the for, for the race for the twenty-four hour. Yeah, so yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. So that'll be another one where we'll bring uh, what will hopefully be an exciting podcast uh, from an event. Yep. Yeah, we've got lots so. of people to see. Um, I'm sure we'll find some old drivers at uh, Le Mans. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's, it's that time of year now where like, every weekend there's like a major event going on. It's not just the odd cars and coffee. So, yeah, yeah lots and lots going on. It's kind of nice to be out and about, really. Absolutely. Right. I think we should um, finish off here and get on home. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, from Andy, myself, and uh, the engine management light in the Cayenne, <laughs> <laughs> we shall all join you next week. Fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed we get home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All three of us will join you next week, probably. Yeah. We're, just, uh, we're just on the A31 at the moment. So, yeah, if you, if you find two um, destitute characters <laughs> in a lay-by <laughs> on the A31... Uh, late on a on a Tuesday evening, uh, yeah, it's us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly that. So uh, yeah, providing we get home and all is well, we shall uh, we shall see you soon. See you soon. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at patreon.com/nineworksradio. dot com slash nineworksradio.